He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams with you. Find us at the73rdhole.com. You can also search us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search 73rd Hole and you will find us. Taylor, what a weekend in the game of golf. We had the century. Uh, we've got some things going down with some potential venue changes coming up. We've got Justin Thomas issuing apologies. We've got the Tiger Dock airing last night. It is an absolute overflow of things happening right now in the game of golf. We've got the LPGA commissioner stepping down. That was barely even news because of everything else going on this week. Uh, but I think we would do, be doing Harris English a disservice if we did not start with what took place in Hawaii. I think Harris English, Taylor, is the first and maybe the last guy who will ever break a seven-year drought with a win at the Century Tournament of Champions. Yeah, you think about it, like, how in the world is that possible with a first win in seven years, correct? Seven years, 2013. That's that's really hard to believe. It is, it is. And, you know, I went back and looked on it because um, we talked about it in one of our last shows, you know, what exactly changed, and I went back and looked on it. He had, he'd been really good short game, um, short uh, around the green and putting pretty much his whole career. Ball uh, Driving and ball striking numbers been really bad for, for a lot of his career. Last couple of years have gotten it up into, to above middle of the pack, and he, I think ball striking last year he was 25th in the on the tour so I mean I think that goes to show why it's changing for me fundamentally I think it's because his backswing's a little shorter than it used to be probably got the club out in front of him a little bit so he's able to control it a little better because he's got a long lanky frame so if he can get out of position that ball could go anywhere so personally that's what it looks like to me but uh, but yeah that that shot he hit on 18 Colby I mean it's hard it's hard to beat that the was it 270 regulation yeah yeah exactly yeah 270 whatever three iron to eight feet and he hit it to the moon off a down slope three iron that I mean, I would have loved to have known what the apex was on that ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it was and to to for the to have the minerals too. I don't know. Maybe he. You, I would like to ask him. You know, did you pull it a little bit, or were you trying to take it on because it was it was the situation? Eagle to win, birdie gets you in the playoff with Joaquin Neiman. Who and you know, I want to get into that a little bit too, Colby. We're, you know, watching it, you know, um, going in. You know, the announcers kept talking about how he was sitting there with Sergio and and the ladies. Or oh, whatever. Justin Leonard was beside himself. Oh, dude, and it's like you know. What was your take on that? You thought he should have been out there because I guess the thing was the range is way on the other side, so you, you have to take, take a cart. You got to take a cart, so I don't, I don't know. I guess getting in a cart was too much of a hassle for for the young man. I don't think it had much of an impact on the playoff. I mean, I don't. I don't I'm, know. Did you see that second shot and even hitting the playoff? Well, I mean, what's he what's he gonna do? Go out there and practice off of a damn downslope? The driving range isn't off a downslope. <laughs> I mean, so no, I don't. He had a perfect drive down there, and that's what he would have been practicing mostly because you it's can't, more a matter of the fact that he hadn't made an iron swing in an hour. You know, well, I, I don't think I mean, it determined the playoff, but I don't know. I mean, you could you could speculate as to why that that second shot happened because I mean he flushed it all day. I mean that was really that was one of the poorer shots, the poorer iron shots that we saw him hit of the day. I think when he hit it, he thought that it was either in the bunker or the shit. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any way he thought that it cleared. And that was probably just adrenaline able to power a miss hit over that stuff. And and he had a horrible lie and, and didn't hit a very good chip and and to not to leave the putt short when English was up there what's seven feet from the hole or whatever. You, you got to at least give that putt a chance. And you know, I, like I said, I, I I don't think people are going to be ripping into him saying that that's going to be the reason why he lost. I, I don't think that's the case. Like I said, English did what he needed to do, made a good birdie. Would have had to make an eagle to beat him there. He make a birdie. You can keep 
continuing the playoff. But English showed no signs of, of holding back. He was playing that hole about as good as you could almost all week. Yeah, he was. I was really rooting for Harris English because golf is such a fickle game, and we see it time and time again where a guy comes out and is a really good player, and then he just fades. And that's what we saw with Harris English. I mean, he was supposed to be a really good player, kind of one of these like can't-miss guys coming out of Georgia, and then he just totally went away. Here's his uh, finish in the official world golf ranking since 2015. 2015 after the year, 102nd, and then 76th after 2016, 257th, pardon me, in the world after 2017, 333rd in the world wow. he fell to after 2018. After 2019, he was 183 in the world. And then after 2020, he was number 28 in the world. He's now moved to number 17 in the world with his win this past week at Century. And it's nice for me to see a guy who, I mean, you could tell he lost his game for a while. He really did. And he's gotten it back and then some. And and I think it's a great story of, um, you know, just persistence, resilience, overcoming adversity, and getting back to where you need to be as a golfer. Yeah, yeah. never give up. Believe believe in the process. Trust what you're doing. Because, uh, like I said, he, he's playing by far the best golf of his career right now. And yeah, is he, he's putting himself in a position of – with how technically good his swing is right now, and and how good he's been um, around the greens, even on, even in his down years, Colby, I think he's propelling himself and still fairly young. Um, you know, what is he, young thirties or mid thirties now, thirty three or something? It's a like good that. question. Let me yeah, yeah, it punch it up real quick, Colby. Um, nevertheless, you know, so he's not, you know, he's not forty or whatever. He's not, he's not Justin Rose age. He's thirty one. He'll be thirty two in July. Yeah, I mean, that's just he's just a little bit older than uh, Reed and Spieth, and um, he's he's probably younger than Fowler is. And uh, so, and so, so we talk about young guys and and all that. And so, I'm, he's putting himself into position of if he, he is younger than Fowler. That's is he funny. really? Yeah, that's funny. That is so awesome. And uh, so, you know, we talk about young guys, and I think he's putting himself in position, Colby. And because we talked about last week too with uh, Daniel Cheeseburger, and he had another good finish this week. Where you know, there's t- these couple of guys, especially English with this win, I think are. Comp- propelling themselves into these guys who may not necessarily be top five players, not be DJ-esque and a Kepka at his prime-esque and, um, and Rory when he's at his best, not be one of a JT, not at that elite level, but guys who are going to be consistent top 15 to 25 players in the world for the next probably four or five years. Speaking of being consistently in the top 15 to top 25, Taylor, I, j- I just want to get inside your head here because I want to figure out what's going on in there. Taylor, you picked Harris English every week for like four months after the pandemic, and then we start the new season in Hawaii, and you're like, no, I'm good. So just how were you feeling as you picked Harris English every week for months, and then you watch him go wire to wire the one week you lay off? Well, I, I feel I feel good for a couple of reasons. One is that my other golfers didn't do very well themselves. So had I picked him, it may not have made much of a difference anyway. And um, you know, it's it's all about value. I mean, you see a, a you see a piece of property one week it's listed at you know ten dollars. The next week you see it it's a hundred dollars. Then the next week it's five hundred dollars. It's all about value. And uh, DraftKings was drastically undervaluing Harry English for however long. And and I, as soon as they catch up and I jump off the train, they hit the nail on the head because he he struck gold with twenty twenty. Five under, not the only one. Joaquin Neiman, obviously, with the playoff, but and Justin Thomas was up there at twenty four under. I mean, it was it was a birdie fest to say the least. And uh, the, it seemed like the only person out there who wasn't making birdies, Colby, was both of our picks and a really popular pick, the old uh, Hideki Matsuyama, second most picked in one and done pools this week. And Hideki had to fire a five hundred sixty eight in the final round just to tie for DFL. So he 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 broke his streak of top five finishes at this tournament. He played it three times. His worst finish was was fourth, and his worst finish is now forty first. And I don't know what has happened to Hideki's golf game, but 
I mean, dude, it's gone. I, I, I love watching Hideki when he's on. I mean, you remember that 61 he shot? What I mean, that had to have been five, six years ago whenever he fired that at Firestone. It was like, oh, my God, Hideki's unbelievable. At some point, this guy's going to have a big breakthrough, and we just don't have the big breakthrough with Hideki. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if that comes at any point in time. I, I was really disappointed in the final round by Victor Hovland. As an Oklahoma State fan, he fires the final round three over 76. Uh, I know I know the wind got up, but still, most guys were playing pretty well. Uh, and he found himself at 14 under going into that final round, which was only two shots back of where Neiman was. Of course, Neiman goes out and shoots a Sunday 64. Hovland shoots a Sunday 76 and ends up getting trounced. But uh, I thought overall it was a, a good tournament and a good open to the season for the PGA Tour. And man, Kapalua is just, it provides some of the best views all year on the PGA Tour. I, I love the overhead shots at Kapalua. Oh, yeah, it's one of those where you could tune in. If they didn't have anyone talking or any golfers out there and they just showed the images, you would still watch it. It's one, It was one of those things. It's just the beauty of it was so, so majestic. And I know both of us, Colby, have both been fortunate enough to have gone to Hawaii ourselves. And so we know how beautiful it is personally. Yeah, a lot unbelievable. of people a lot of people aren't that fortunate. And so if, if for any reason you have an opportunity to, to go, absolutely please do that. I don't think there may not be a more gorgeous place in the world than, than Hawaii. I mean, it, it truly is remarkable. And so, you know, that's why we talked about in our pregame show, how, why we didn't thank some of these first timers and why we thought horses for courses matter. Cause you go out there, I mean, you're just, you're blown away because it's, it's paradise almost in a sense. And you're like, what do I have to do to live here? That's kind of, that's kind of what you start thinking about. And you like, you're putting all the pieces together and you're like, okay, well, probably you blah 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 whatever it may be but it's it's just so beautiful and it's it's just such it's it's not anything like we I've ever seen before and so to be able to sculpt a golf course out of it and to play on it is is truly magnificent and you know we don't get the same views we're not gonna get the same views this week at wildlife as we do at Kapalua just because you know there's different different pieces of property just whatever. because it's an inferior course you can uh, say it it's uh, okay uh, and it, it is what it is but uh, I think it's gonna we actually have a really good field at wildlife this year normally it's known as one of those tournaments where not not a lot of the big names come over and play it but a lot of people who had played last week are playing this week as well so I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out and Wild is also known as a course it's very flat course not much undulation there it's it's known as a birdie fest as well so I think it'd be interesting to see how low some of these guys go we'll get into that after the break we have a lot more to get into before that um, remember that's where Justin Thomas shot 59 a few years ago at so so you can go low with all these good players playing it'd be interesting to see what the final score is yeah no doubt 10 of the top 25 players in the world teeing it up you mentioned Justin Thomas had the 59 there several years ago when he won and what better way to segue into Justin Thomas Justin Thomas had uh, an interesting week at the Century Tournament of Champions. He finished 24 under, only one shot out of the lead. He goes 65, 69, 68, 66. Really good week on the golf course for Justin Thomas, but Saturday he missed a putt, a putt that he should have made. He was frustrated with himself, uh, and he was caught under his breath on one of the mics next to the green, uttering a homophobic slur. Uh, Starts with the letter F. I'm sure everybody's either heard it, seen it, knows what's going on. Uh, I will say I think that there are Good, good ways and bad ways to handle things like this. And I, I think, and, and that's not to, by any means to excuse it, but I think JT handled it about as well as I've ever seen anyone in this situation. Y- you know, he didn't get off the course and go have his agent release a statement. He didn't go back to his hotel and check Twitter to see what the reaction was. He got off the course. He immediately went in front of a microphone. 
he appeared sincere. He appeared contrite. He, he did the same thing on Sunday after his round. Immediately after the round, on the first question, he brought it up, said how sorry he was, and, and it seemed genuine and sincere to me. We'll see where he goes moving forward. Um, but it was an unfortunate incident on Saturday. I think he's handled it well since. Kind of, What was your takeaway of what happened and, and how he handled it? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, you broke it down perfectly. The way He, he handled it excellently, and... At the end of the day, it's it's a horrible thing to say, but and you talk about not giving an excuse, but I, I will say this, you know, I it, it's all for me. It's all about intent. Whenever you talk about you know a, a harmful slur, and I completely understand that people are offended by the word, but I don't think he meant any ill intent against that you know the group of. Um, you know, sexuality or whatever you choose. He wasn't being, he wasn't being offensive to them because he missed the putt. It was just a slip of a word. So I think for anyone who wants to judge Justin Thomas for that, I think is, is a fairly, fairly bad choice just because, I mean, like I said, I don't think the intent was there to offend anyone. He just missed a five footer. And I mean, we've all been there and, you know, words slip out and, you know, it's, it's a horrible thing. And like I said, it's nothing that shouldn't be said, but at the end of the day too, Colby, I think it was bad that, if you don't want it to be said or heard, quit retweeting the video of it. Quit. Because to me, Colby, I had to turn up my volume and listen really closely to hear exactly what he said. And so it's like, you're, you're looking so far into it and you're having to dig so much up. And it's like, if you truly want this to not happen, don't spread it. Don't, don't tweet it out. Don't retweet it. Don't, don't comment on it. And because that's what, that's what fuels the fire in a sense. And so I think the, Obviously, it's horrible and shouldn't have said it. Justin Thomas has handled it perfectly. But I just think that the way that it's handled outside of making it into basically pouring gasoline onto the fire, I think is the wrong way to handle it because it could be mitigated a lot better. And a lot more people will get less offended if less people hear it. Yeah, and I think it's hard for me anyway not to draw the parallels to Kobe Bryant, especially with what a big Kobe fan Justin Thomas is. You remember one of Kobe's last years in the NBA, he used this same word on the sideline. He was fined $100,000 by the NBA, but then what did Kobe do? Kobe went out, he spoke with some advocacy groups, and he became an advocate for the LGBT community moving toward you know later on in his life because, again, it was the same situation with Kobe where he wasn't trying to offend anybody he just you know said it in the moment but then once he spoke to people in the lgbt community he realized that you know regardless of intent the way it comes off is as a a demeaning word and look i i think justin thomas will be retiring that word from his vocabulary probably a smart thing to do Uh, but i do think he handled it well and i'd be surprised if he didn't handle it well going forward because uh, i think justin thomas throughout his career um as far as we know has has been a pretty good guy and i think that he'll continue to handle it well moving forward so i do i do too and 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 like I said, I don't, I don't want to get too much down this rabbit hole, but, you know, also, like I said, just the intent and also terminology, because the word that he said, I can't remember exactly what dialect it is, but it means butt of a cigarette. So it's like, depending on where you're at in the world, that phrase can mean something differently to anyone. And so that's why I think pouring gasoline onto the fire is what is making this work. Because like I said, if if it does offend someone and you know that it's going to, don't spread it. And so it's okay to be mad at Justin Thomas if you do hear it, but don't spread it so that the the hate can keep can keep fueling because that's what that's what makes these fires even bigger and that's um what I think has propelled this even bad but Justin Thomas has handled it perfectly and um like I said I, I, there's not much you can do you don't have it we don't have a time machine we can't go back and not say the word I mean what I mean what are you going to do be mad at the guy for the rest of his career I mean I mean seriously I yeah mean, no and and 
to social media's credit and everything, I, I didn't see a lot of people uh, coming out. You know, I, I saw people upset with Justin Thomas, but but I didn't see any. Uh, I'm done with Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas should be kicked off the tour. Just these these outlandish, irrational takes that sometimes we see when something like this happens. I didn't see any of that, and I think part of it has to do with the fact that he immediately owned up to it. I think even in his statement, he 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 said, "Look, I don't I don't have an excuse. I'm a grown man." That that's not somebody, and and he just it was immediate. It was immediate contrition, and I didn't see, I didn't feel like I saw much overreaction to it, uh, as far as I could tell on social media and the likes. But um, anyway, it's it's something that was, certainly was on his mind yesterday. We could tell in his post around. Yeah, he mentioned it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How much it was troubling him, which is, I mean, like I say, he, he he dug his own grave at that point, but to know that it actually had an impact on him on the tournament was is was pretty telling. Yeah. Well, <laughs> And, and again, I, I don't doubt that it did. He said that it did. He still shot final around sixty six. Yeah, so, well, he's just I mean, that that's talented. Seven under. He's just that talented. You know? Yes, he's unbelievable, and obviously that course fits him uh, incredibly well. So moving on now, we will be looking for a new venue for the twenty twenty two PGA Championship. It was supposed to be hosted at Trump Bedminster in New Jersey. Uh, the PGA of America has decided to distance itself from Trump, and they've removed uh, the tournament from that venue. Also, Trump Turnberry. He bought Turnberry in 2013, I believe it was, uh, and the RNA came out and said that for the foreseeable future, they didn't say they were never going to host an open there again, but they said for the foreseeable future, they were not going to schedule an open at Turnberry until they felt that the tournament could focus on the players and the fans and that the focus would not be elsewhere. So uh, now the, the question becomes, where do we host the 2022 PGA Championship? And I've seen some real momentum. Obviously, we're in the state of Oklahoma, so we're going to see this. But I've seen some decent social media momentum for Southern Hills. Gosh, I would love to see a PGA at Southern in two years. It'd be beautiful. It'd be our last chance, really, to see Tiger compete in the state of Oklahoma because he won't still be competitive in 2030 when the PGA championship comes to town. You wouldn't think so. Not unless they get some, some new type of uh, health serum or something like that to get his some sort of anti-aging cream. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it, it, what's interesting about what you said, Colby, you know, Turnberry is where Tom Watson won, at 59 years old, almost won the yeah. British open. So, I mean, it's, it's a horrible disservice to the course, but I mean the, the organization, you have a, you have your choice to host the venue anywhere the hell you want. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I hope they do choose, um, choose Oklahoma, but if you private entity, you can, you can go play the tournament anywhere you want and i just hope that they choose a great golf course and hopefully by the 2022 pga championship we're able to have fans back so if we are lucky enough to do have it come to oklahoma at southern hills which uh newly renovated and they're having the 2021 is it senior or women's next year uh, this year senior senior, senior, senior yes yeah. you at senior US open uh, I thought it was the senior PGA, it might be senior but PG- I could be wrong. N- n- nevertheless, it's it's a senior anyway, major yes. championship, yeah, yes. w- which is which is all the intent. And so, absolutely, uh, if we're lucky enough to have it, that would be be fantastic. But anywhere it is, I just want it to be obviously at a great golf course, and uh, like I said, somewhere where there you can focus on the course as opposed to stuff that happens off the course. Yeah, absolutely. And that's again, those aren't even the only places uh, where we're finding new venues. WGC Mexico will not be played in Mexico this upcoming year. They're not hosting it uh, at Chapultepec for a variety of reasons. And and I've seen um, various stories about why they're not hosting it in Chapultepec. Uh, I've heard that the 
sponsorships and everything were not going well down there, that there were some legal issues with some of the uh, companies that were sponsoring that event down there. You know, I've heard obviously COVID making it more difficult to travel internationally and things of that nature, you know, but then they played in Punta Cana, they played in Riviera Maya. So I don't really know how much that factors into it. But long story short, at least for one year, uh, it looks like the WGC Mexico Championship will be hosted in Florida. Uh, rumors that it'll be at the concessions, which has the highest slope rating uh, anywhere in Florida. So I I liked watching it at Chapultepec. Uh, you know, at the altitude, the distances go way up. Everybody just bombs it miles and miles and miles. Um, I thought Chapultepec was, was a fun course, but it appears that the tournament is moving on. And uh, from what I've gathered, even after this year, I don't think it will be back at Chapultepec. So the the future of this tournament i think is very much up in the air yeah absolutely and i think that you know this is the tournament this used to be the doral tournament every year so this is where uh, you know tiger and phil it wasn't wgc back then it was the ford whatever it may this be where in 2013 tiger had 100 putts for four rounds in doral wasn't yeah. that was this event wasn't it i believe so, yeah, so i'm pretty yeah, sure that was yeah. this event yeah and so nevertheless if if it does go in uh, the course that you mentioned, Colby, one of the hardest in Florida, it would be. All, we always want to see the pros go out there on a on a tough test and see what they can bring and see if you know if someone one of these great names can go out there and shoot a low score. But yeah, I think you're going to see that a lot more. Like you mentioned, they did go to Putacana and uh, Mayacoba, but nevertheless. I think you're going to see these tournaments try to, at least until uh, the virus and everything's a little bit more contained, um, try to keep everything a little bit more d- domestic. Even, I mean, Hawaii's still in the U.S., but still, I, I don't think that, was, that wasn't that was going to change in jeopardy. But, uh, but yeah, just definitely keep it within the 50 states, I think, will be their primary goal, unless they know for 100% certainty that it's safe. Yeah, absolutely. So um, why, why don't we go ahead and transition here into something that I've been looking forward to talking about the majority of the afternoon, and that's the Tiger Doc from last night. Um, uh, do you watch Part it last one. night or today? Today. Today. Okay. I watched it today as well. So it's fresh on both of our minds. Part one, like you were saying. Part two will be next week. Part one was an hour and a half on HBO. And part one essentially covered Tiger's birth through Earl's death was pretty much part one. And then part two is going to cover it, basically the aftermath of Earl's death to present, I, I believe. Um, so just give me a... a, a whole overview your thoughts of the doc and then we can dive into some specifics yeah th- there's a lot of different ways to look at it one i, I thought I, I think it's portrayed very well i think that they've you know they're telling a story and they're telling it in a, in a great way i think that that's interesting um one little side note i just want to get out of here it it went re- i mean gosh dang it frustrated me more than it should they whenever they were talking about tiger and phil the 2001 masters yeah and they show him on 13, and they talk about how rattled Phil got. Then they start showing holes that were before holes. Oh, I know. Before oh, 13. And, and then they showed Phil's tee shot at 10. Yeah, exactly. That, that was what they did. It was Phil's tee shot at 10 that clanked off the trees. Yeah, so it's like what he said on 13 influenced what he did an hour previously before that, apparently. So I, I, I thought that that was a bad portrayal. But but really, other than that, I, I, I liked how they kept kind of going between scene to scene. You know, they'd have some flashbacks in there to kind of – it kind of ties everything together. And – you know, Kobe. Whenever they had the um, the Golf Channel had the Tiger Slam documentary, we were both fairly disappointed in just the lack of knowledge and lack of depth. And this was to me the exact opposite of that. There was there were some quotes that I had heard. Um, there was there was a three part Tiger uh, DVD series that came out, I think two thousand three or something like that. And so some of Earl's quotes and uh, Coltita's quotes were still on there. So I, I had heard those before. But some of the video, especially those home videos from his first girlfriend and, and the story about his first girlfriend, was 
was very, very, very fascinating is an interesting word. Sad also, too, is an inter- another way to look at it um, because it, it's horrible the way everything transpired there. And, you know, it, it opened up new light to, I mean, just the what the environment Tiger was put in. And it, it definitely doesn't give him any excuse, but you definitely get a little bit more of understanding of maybe why he did some of the decisions that he did, whether they whether you view them right or wrong, as most of us view them as wrong, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my wife has long been a Tiger hater for, you know, his indiscretion, all the things that he did, the DUI, all that stuff. And I told her she hasn't watched it. I watched it earlier today. She was working. And I told her that I think that she should watch it with me to just understand him a little bit better because as I watched it, I was, I mean, I was borderline heartbroken for the kid that was Tiger Woods when his kindergarten teacher talks to his parents about, you know, Tiger told his kindergarten teacher that he wanted to play other sports and when she talked to his parents and the kindergarten teacher did and Earl said, no, he needs to focus on his golf. And, and obviously it worked out everything that Earl prophesized about Tiger becoming this, you know, greatest player in the history of the game, all this stuff that all happened. And I, I think that what I took away from it was Earl is responsible for Earl is partially responsible for Tiger reaching the highest of the high. And I think Earl is also partially responsible for Tiger reaching the lowest of the low. And, and I think that uh, I can't remember if it was his friend or his first girlfriend. I think it was his friend in the, in the doc who said Earl prepared Tiger for everything that golf would throw his way. But Tiger wasn't prepared for fame. Tiger wasn't prepared for life. And, and you, you know, you mentioned his first girlfriend, you know, they were in love, talked about spending their lives together. And then his parents freak out over him staying over there one night and think that she, you know, she's going to ruin the plans, this master plan that they have for Tiger to become the greatest golfer of all time. And then he writes his first girlfriend he's been with for three years, this letter saying that, you know, she is never to, to see or speak to him or his family again. And, you, you know, you just have to think that Earl and Catilda made him sit down and write that letter. And it just, it, it led him to be the greatest of all time. But it also came off to me as just a really sad childhood. You know, everything, every gain you have comes with a negative. Everything balances out. I mean, Tiger is a um, vocal Buddhist as he, as he has been in the past. I mean, it's a classic yin-yang. I mean, you don't, you don't get to the top without some struggles. And so while Earl put him in a position to be the best golfer in the world and of, of all time, essentially, there was a lot of things that were not beneficial to Tiger as a child, obviously, and as a human being growing up. And so while, and as, as you saw with him, with Earl and some, how he talked, especially with the kindergarten teacher, Earl was focused on one thing, one thing only, it seemed like. And as, as hard as that is to as see, and like I say, I mean, he won the masters by 12 shots when he was 21 years old. So do you look at the parenting as a success or a failure for what you have? And so that's, that's what's so hard about it because it's so hard you, 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 because it's both. It is. It's but, absolutely both. And you know, I, um, you know, you can listen to other celebrities come out and, um, you know, even like I was listening to a, a thing earlier, uh, Matthew McConaughey was talking and, and cause he's coming out with a new book or something like that and he he wrote his book and he went out to the desert for how many ever days to to write it and it's like you think about a millionaire or billionaire how, how much not billionaire but multi-millionaire giving all that up to go out into the wilderness to write a book you know it's like all these things that we all strive for for so hard to all of a sudden you know you you just kind of give that all up and so you know it's you can kind of lose track of what's in of what 
reality is if you get caught up in the fame. And so I think Tiger, at what point did it happen? I think we'll find out more in the, in the second documentary for sure. Um, it, it's kind of one of those things where you think that it's kind of, it was always brewing there, you know, it's kind of just, it was kind of like a boiling pot where it's just sitting there, sitting there. And then all of a sudden boils too long and then it just fizzles over. And so, you know, where on along the lines of tiger, you know, where did it break for him? Was it, was it the actual death? Was it leading up? Because learned more throughout this show that he, him and Earl had a fairly distant relationship the last probably Five, the, last, the last several years, yeah, of, uh, of Earl's life, yeah, and um, and so the, I I thought that was pretty telling, and so you know at what point did Tiger start to realize what what his what his parents were doing to him was wrong, and you know what was it just the fame that allowed him to get away from that situation? One thing that I thought was was very telling, and, and my uh, girlfriend, beautiful girlfriend, Caitlin, pointed this out to me too, how intimidating the quote is of when he was on his boat and going down and saying, "The fishies don't know who I am." Oh my! You talk about heartbreaking. Yeah, that, I mean that's heartbreaking. He fell yeah. in love with scuba diving because it was the only place he could go where he didn't get swarmed by everybody wanting to get a little piece of Tiger Woods. Absolutely. I mean, every, I mean, if, like I said, if I would see him, I'd freak out. I mean, I, whenever I saw him at the, the U.S. Open, the PGA that were at Southern Hills, I mean, I was like a boy in a candy store times a million. I mean, you're just like shaking so excited. And, and I saw him at Pebble Beach 18 months ago as an adult. And I, I mean, I like, I had chills. My body, like, it, it's just, he's like this larger than life figure that Earl and Katilda turned him into. And it's, it's maximum greatness with maximum cost. I, I really... He didn't get to have a normal life. He, he had the life of Tiger Woods. And it, it's also part of the reason that the Tiger we have now is my favorite Tiger that we've ever had. Because I think whenever you look back on all that and then you look at what he has now, seeing him at the PNC with, with Charlie and hugging Charlie after he wins the Masters, I think fatherhood has brought him a, a new perspective on life. And I think for the first time maybe ever, we actually have a happy Tiger Woods who is really enjoying just about every aspect of his life. And it, it just, it, it makes me happy that he's to that point now because that's, I don't think that's the Tiger we saw for a long time. No, it was. And you know, it's obviously Tiger's the exception, but even in normal life, we're getting to the point to where, I mean, how long do we live Colby where it's you, you fill in your father's shoes, whatever your father did, you do the same thing. I mean, we went generations where that was the case where if you worked in a mill, whatever it may be, you know, you follow in the same industry as your father. And we may see a little bit of that in the second episode when you talk about the special forces work that he did. Obviously Earl was the green beret with multiple tours to Vietnam, which I mean, how you, how you don't have some severe PTSD from that stuff. I, I, oh my I, gosh. I don't know. Oh, and by the way, I didn't know exactly what Earl did in Vietnam and they went into it. On the dock. He, he went in without a gun, went behind enemy lines with C4, and blew shit up. Yeah. I mean, that was his role in Vietnam. And I just... It, it's, it's such a complicated story. Earl's life is so complicated. Tiger's life is so complicated. And, and I thought a great part of the dock was they got the assistant pro from the Navy course who was great friends with Earl and Tiger whenever Tiger was growing up. And, you know, when they asked the assistant pro about the infidelity and I'm not talking about tiger's infidelity. I'm talking about the assistant pro himself and Earl, you know, they described Earl in this little Winnebago right there in the parking lot of the golf course. Tiger would be on the practice green putting at five, six years old. And Earl would take these women that he was giving golf lessons to into this RV for quote unquote cocktails. 
And even the, the assistant pro himself said that he was married at the time, and yet he was chasing skirts and bringing them to the golf course and doing things with them. And, and he admitted to himself, he's like, you know, we did all this in front of Tiger, and he started to get really choked up and teared up. And he said he basically was, was blaming himself and essentially, I'm paraphrasing, he was essentially saying, shame on us for putting this child through that. Absolutely. And so, you know, that leads me into into my point, Colby, exactly perfectly, is that, you know, we're at a point to where, and Tiger obviously being the idol that he is, you know, he can look back on what his parents did. And because, you know, we talk about you have the best of the best, you know, you have the best comes with also the worst. You know, Tiger as a parent, he can look back and dissect, okay, well, what did what did my dad and mom do that was good for me? And what did they do for me that was bad? And hopefully you can be honest with yourself and that way you can be a better, better, you know, quote unquote father. Because they said it really good in the documentary, you know, they talk about how they were best friends. And it's like, you don't need a, a friend, you need a father. And so, you know, there's a big difference between those distinctions. And I think that, you know, I think Tiger, if he's able to look on some self-reflection, he'll be able to be better for Charlie just off of his off of his father's lessons and and even, um, you know, seeing, like I said, the assistant pro who is a male influence in his life to see, to see both of them doing, you know, horrible act um, infidelity. And so, you know, it's, um, it, 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 like I said, it can be, especially with how young you mentioned Tiger was out there putting on the green. It can be a fairly traumatizing thing. Yeah, I mean, it shapes who you are whenever it happens when you're that young. And Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's, it's such a conflict in your body because, it's his best friend, Tiger to Earl is his best friend, like he talked about, but yet he has so much resentment towards him because of what he's doing to his mom. And so it's, he's playing two sides and he's almost got and two different. And he could never talk about it. Absolutely. It, no. it all just was buried deep down. Absolutely. They didn't, I mean, he's not going to therapy or anything like that. They, you know, that's not going to happen. And, you know, we're, Earl Green Beret, we're going to toughen it out. They mentioned a thing about a Navy uh, psychologist coming in and doing a hypnosis type of technique on a, when he was 12 to 14 and, and, and all that. And if, if that works great, but, uh, but yeah, no, it, it's, uh, while it doesn't, it doesn't justify what, what Tiger did and some of the horrible things that he did, especially to his wife, it, um, it definitely sheds some more light on the situation, to say the least. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, can't wait for part two next week. Part two, I would imagine, is going to be a little more intense. I think we're going to get the kill house next week, some of the Navy Steel, Steel stuff that Tiger did. Uh, we're going to get some of the mistresses, I think, next week. We're going to get the DUI next week. It's it's going to be heavy. Th- this week w- was heavy, uh, and I think next week will be heavy. And this is just my, my parting shot on that. Uh, and then we'll take a break, come back, and preview the Sony. I think looking at Tiger with Charlie, I, I don't think Tiger at any point has tried to like groom Charlie into this young prodigy golf robot the way he was. I think he legitimately allowed Charlie to figure out what he wanted to do. And t- Charlie said, Dad, I want to play golf. And Tiger said, okay, let's play golf. But I think that that is so much different than what Earl did with Tiger. And I think that that's a good thing uh, that Tiger's doing that with Charlie because even I, I think it was the assistant pro or maybe it was the, the friend of Earl's early in the doc that said, and this is, I'm paraphrasing, but this is pretty close to the quote. He said, you know, Earl will tell you that he would have been happy whether Tiger wanted to be a tuba player or, you know, wanted to be on the chess team or whatever. And then the guy looks at the camera and he says, but Earl was a world-class bullshitter exactly what he said and, and that that is the absolute difference is is 
is not necessarily the act of it, but what if the child decides to not go through with that sport, what is your reaction to that? That's the main difference. And I think that Tiger would obviously be open to Charlie if he never wanted to pick up another golf club again and would love him to the day he died. And not saying Earl wouldn't have loved Tiger had he not chosen golf, but there would have been a little bit of resentment there for a long time had he you know, rebelled and try to do stuff his own way, I yeah. think. And, um, you know, it's while you see that darker side of it, I mean, you know, it's it, like I said, it's the ultimate side of the coin. I mean, Tiger's got more money than 99.99999% of people who have ever lived, but at, at this cost. And so you ask, is it worth it to some people? It is to some people it isn't. And it's, it's a very, very fascinating life that if we all look at it objectively, we can learn lessons from it. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, good stuff. Uh, we didn't miss anything, did we? There's a lot happening in the world, go- world of golf. I don't think we missed anything. Um, probably not. I mean, except for um, after the break, well, we got preview coming up, coming up for the Sony, which I think will be a really good tournament, at least comparatively. Normally, it doesn't get a lot of good viewers, but we got a really good field this year. I think it's going to be a great tournament. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll take a break, come back on the other side. Stay with us as we roll on here on the 73rd hole. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mcrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. Welcome back. Rolling along here on a golf-packed Monday on the 73rd hole. We're doing a recap and a preview in this one show. Couldn't get another show in this week due to some scheduling difficulties, so we're knocking it all out in one day, which means you are, we are bringing you our very early Sony Open preview, but we've done our, our research throughout the day to make sure that we are prepared to make our picks because once we pick them, we stick with them. Uh, I was going to say this last week, and I forgot, but since we're recording on a Monday, I think we should go ahead and establish this year we're just doing our one and done picks on the website that we use for our, our season-long pool. And if we pick a player in the one and done on the podcast that ends up having to pull out of the tournament, pre, pre-tournament with COVID, with an injury, whatever the case may be, well, whoever we switch to on the website is who is who we use on the podcast as Absolutely. well since we're just doing one. Want it done. Absolutely. And if for any reason either one of us forgets to go on and switch someone at WDs, that's shame on us. Yeah, shame on you. Shame on you. If you forget, that's... Uh, you would be the one that forgets. Sounds like a personal problem. It would probably be me. Probably go ski and leave on a Wednesday. Somebody WDs. I don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be something that you do for that sure. That would absolutely be something that I would do. So why don't we dive into the Sony Open a little bit. Taylor, I went first last week in our DraftKings picks, so I will defer to you. This week, go ahead and hit me with your, you can start at the top or the bottom, dealer's choice. You know what? I think we'll start at the top this week. Um, you know, just kind of mix it up. I kind I, I like to not give give the listeners the same same little spill. So we'll, we'll we, start. We better not have overlap this week. You know, I got, I got some studs in here. You got studs. Did you go, so you got a lot of cheap guys? Uh, My cheapest is 6,900. Okay. Well, I am going with, so that's not a very, yeah, that's pretty. My studs, pr- I don't mean salary wise. Okay. Okay. It's not like JT and DJ are in this field, so... Yeah, okay. I get what you're saying. So, I am going with the highest-ranked 
uh, in the Fisher World Golf Rankings in the field, Colby is most my most expensive at uh, just a little at ten thousand six hundred. Is it? Give me Colin Morikawa. I was thinking to say, is Weber or is Morikawa higher ranked right now? Um, according to this, it looks like Morikawa is a little higher. It might be one higher. Yeah, um, sounds about right because I think that they were one and two last week, and then Morikawa finished higher than Webb. Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and I'm showing Colin Morikawa is the fifth-ranked player in the world, up from seven last week, and Webb Simpson is the eighth-ranked player in the world. So Morikawa was higher than uh, Webb last week as well. Okay, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I don't have Webb in, in my DraftKings lineup, but some of Webb's most recent finishes here, Kobe, are third, fourth, 13th, 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 20th, uh, 38th. So, I mean, okay. So, I mean, pretty, pretty good here, and also been on some fairly decent form as well. Played, um, finished 17th this last last week. So, I mean, not his best stuff, but also it was a birdie fest, so you missed a couple putts here or there. You're not going to finish this high, just kind of, kind of how it is. So, Real uh, quick before we move on, just because I'm looking at the official World Golf Ranking, there was some shakeup this past week in the OWGR. Uh, Xander Schauffele moved up to four, and Colin Morikawa moved up to five. So Bryson and Rory both fall out of the top five, and Xander and Morikawa make appearances in the top wow. five. I believe for the first time, and I, I know for the first time in Morikawa's career, and I believe that's the first time in Xander's career he's cracked the top five as well. Man, that, that is fascinating considering Bryson, you know, they didn't, I didn't see a whole lot of him, but he, I mean, he had a T7, I believe. So, I mean, it's not like he had a, a horrible finish. And um, and who was the other one you meant? Rory. Rory yeah. being out of there. I mean, that's, who would who would have thought that Rory would ever be outside the top five in the world? And so Xander's you know, previous high was six. It looks like so. I think this is his first time cracking the top five, and he's in at fourth. Hey, how do you feel about that, Colby? A guy who hasn't won in two years being a top five player in the world. I mean, he he. I, I get that he hasn't won in two years, but the dude top fives and top tens all the time. I, I don't have a huge problem with that. I mean, if you're consistent week in and week out, yes, you'd love to be hoisting trophies. But over the last two years with the points ranking system, the way it's designed, he's played better golf than all but three other guys in the world. Now, he doesn't have as many trophies as, as Bryson and uh, some of these other guys behind him, but I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I, I would like to – I don't know. It, you it, want wins to be more heavily weighted? Well, I, I do and I don't because, you know, obviously, like if, if someone has just one good week – it's it's hard to say that that's a justification to be ranked higher than someone else. Yeah, like you want Jim Herman to be the 37th ranked player in the world because he wins once every two years. That's, hey, yeah, there's so, flaws so, both ways. Exactly. And so, I'm, you know, at the end of the day, Xander's ranked higher than Bryson. If if Bryson's on his game, he's going to beat Xander. Yeah, I mean, there's no, I agree. you know, there's no doubt about it. And, and I think the same with Rory too. I mean, but but it's just this Rory, someone whose wedge game has almost fallen off the face of the planet. It seems like we haven't so. seen him play good golf in so long. It's been a calendar year, really, since we've seen Rory be Rory. And when, when, he's got to get it back at some point. It's yeah. just a matter of when. Um, Too so, talented not to. All right, back hey, to DraftKings. Uh, so uh, my, my pick's Morikawa. Had a had a really good tournament this last week. Didn't have the best Sunday kind of kind of filter a little bit, but but still got the T7 down there with uh, where DeChambeau was. So I'm going to go ahead and ride him, just a guy who I think is pr- essentially guaranteed to be there on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. A couple 65s in the middle of the round. I considered him both here and in the one and done. Didn't end up using him in either place. My most expensive, Sungjae M. Love Sungjae when he's on form. We know that Sungjae plays a ton of golf, and right now, Sungjae's playing good golf. You look at his results last se- uh, last week, pardon me, he had four rounds in the 60s at Kapalua, looked really good, ended up finishing fifth. He's played here twice, 16th and 21st at Wiley, but you go back, he had the second place finish at the Masters. Uh, I just think that uh, Sungjae is, is really close to getting back to that form we saw him in whenever he won at the start of last season, so I'm going to run Sungjae M out as my most expensive and then my next guy, I'm just going with a guy who's played this course a lot. He's played this course well. 
and he's playing well. Ryan Palmer's playing good golf, man. He is playing good golf going back to the summer. Uh, finished fourth last week. He's won here. It was a decade ago. It was 2010, but he has won here. Has an eighth-place finish here in 2014. A couple more top 20s. And finished fourth here last year. So finished fourth last week. Finished fourth here last year. I will take an on-form Ryan Palmer at Wiley this week. Well, you're going to save me some breath when we get later on in the segment, so I appreciate you saying all that about <laughs> Ryan Palmer, Colby. Um, so my next uh, – you, you gave two picks, right? Yeah, Sung Jay and Ryan Palmer. So my next most expensive, Colby, is a guy who we talked about last week and we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, kind of along there with Harris English. This is a young guy who's establishing some – establishing himself as a guy who's going to be here for a little bit, and that's Daniel Cheeseburger at an even 10,000. I just think that he's playing the best golf that he probably has of his entire career, and at a course history here, he is 5 for 5 on cuts made, best finish being 13th, um, two top 15 finishes in there, so um, along with Morikawa, I think he's another guy who's going to be there on Sunday. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Snake draft. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yep, so I'm uh, I'm one of those guys on, the, on fantasy, in your fantasy drafts, who has the 10th pick, and will pick the first guy guy in 10 seconds and then wait till the whole timer's up on the second pick uh, the 11th pick and you're like dude you, you know who you're picking so fast why are you taking so long now so my next most expensive club let me scroll down because i had to diversify a little bit oh that is the cut making machine of charles howe the third chucky hey. three sticks and uh, you want to talk you want to talk about some course history colby let me uh find charles howe the third here well, i got the, it right here you want me to rattle it off you can absolutely I mean, it's impressive starting in 2009 we'll only go back that far starting in 2009 fourth fifth 68th Third, uh, pardon me, second, third, eighth, 26th, 13th, eighth, 32nd, eighth, 12th. Pretty damn good. Yeah. Especially for a guy who is an even 8,000. And looking on here, he has made one, two, three. Uh, let me see here. I believe that is seven of his last eight cuts, Colby. So pretty good stuff. Yeah. It's, and it's been very much Charles Howe golf. It's been a T38, a T23, a T16. It's just very much Charles Howe golf. Uh, for my third most expensive this week, I'm going to go with a, a guy who I don't think will be rostered a lot because he's not a big name, but Lanto Griffin is playing some pretty good golf. Lanto Griffin, uh, three of his last four starts uh, to end the 2020 season. He made the cut, the cut, including two top 11 finishes in that time. He finished 13th a week ago, and he finished seventh here last year. So I think Lanton Griffin will be lower percentage rostered, which if he plays well can help boost you up, obviously, because he's not a big name. So I'm going to roll with Lanto at 8,100. And then my fourth most expensive, and this is going to come as a big surprise, a guy totally out of left field. Go ahead and give me Charles Howell third oh, with, with, with the course history. I, I went from a guy who I don't think will be very rostered to a guy who I think will be in almost everyone's roster because he's eight grand and he's almost a guaranteed made cut. So I, it, it's hard not to run out a guaranteed made cut at eight grand. At least it's what it looks like on paper for on sure. Paper. On, on paper, but or, hey, or on but, our phones in this case. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, Colby? Normally, what do we see in the course of history whenever something like this looks so obvious? It isn't obvious. I mean, we see it all the time. And whether it be betting, whether it be one of our picks, like like Hideki last week, we thought it was a surefire, and he, I mean, he, there was no one that finished worse than he did. I mean, he tied for last. <laughs> there was not one golfer in the field worse than a guy that we were so high on. He, so I mean, he, he had to backdoor a DF. He, he literally did shot 500 on, on the last day. And so my next um, most expensive guy, Colby, is a uh, the caddy's friend of the show and uh, Scott Tway, uh, just a fabulous guy. And so give me Brian Harmon, the lefty, who has uh, been playing some pretty good golf. Um, man, I would have to count a long way, but he has he has missed one cut since the memorial back in whenever that was held, probably July, whenever it was. So, I mean, this is a, the definition of a cut-making machine, ca uh, getting to the weekends, which is what you want. 
in DraftKings, obviously. So for 7800 I think that that is a really good price. And then my uh, next most expensive, Colby, 7200 This is a guy who has an, an – you know, notice the theme here. We're going with guys who play this course well. And uh, this is a guy who won – um, back in the fall, actually screwed you out of some money whenever you bet Harry Higgs. Oh, he did. Get the hell out of here, Stuart Sink. And thank you. Save me some breath. And so I've got I'll, no place for Stuart Sink on this show. Costing me money. So I did, did, like did not play this tournament last year, but um, since going back and we went back to 2009 with Charles Howell, so we'll do the same with Stuart Sink. One miscut in there hasn't finished better than 20th, but uh, but for 7200 and a guy who won not too long ago didn't play very well this past week at uh, at Century, but uh, but there is. A theme of players who have played the week before at Kapalua playing well at the Sony. So I think that trend may, will continue on with Stuart Sink, hopefully. Yeah, no doubt about it. I am going with my final two golfers at 7,600. I'm going with a guy who had two top fives in his last four stars to close out 2020. Didn't play last week, but also... He's just kind of a fan favorite around here. Give me Taylor Gooch at 7,600. In his uh, top five finishes at the Houston Open and the CJ Cup, he gained 25 total shots on the field in those two tournaments, including more than 15 strokes tee to green. The dude hits the ball incredibly, incredibly well, especially with his mid to long irons, and I think that that will come into play. At Wiley's played here three times, made the cut twice, has a top 20 to his name, and I, I just... I really think he could potentially be poised for a breakout season. So I'm going to jump on it early with Taylor Gooch at 7,600 before DraftKings decides that uh, he's worth about 82 to 8,400 if he has some good finishes to start this season. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's it's just a matter of of when, not a matter of if. And so, so yeah, as, if you can jump on the train early enough, I think it's good. It's just at this course, it will turn into it could turn into a birdie fest, very similar to last week. So will he will he be able to make enough putts to be up there on Sunday? And I, I think he has a great chance to be there as well. I I would be more surprised if Taylor wasn't there Saturday and Sunday as opposed to if he wasn't or even even up there in contention. Yeah, so my cheapest guy this week, 6,900. Nice. Very nice. Uh, I'm just going with a guy who plays the course well. He's not on form. That doesn't really matter that much to me. He's played this tournament. Uh, let's go back and look here. Eight times played this tournament. He's made the cut seven, and he's got four top tens. Two of those are top fives. Give me Brian Stewart. I mean, it's hard to find really good course history in the 6,000s. And I'm looking at a guy who has four top 10s, four top eights in eight appearances here. So half the time that he's teed it up at Wiley, he finishes in the top eight. Now, could this be the one year where he finishes 58th or he misses the cut? Sure, it could. But at 6,900, I'm willing to take a chance on a guy who finishes in the top eight at this course 50% of the time he tees it up. Yeah, really, any time in DraftKings, if your cheapest guy makes the cut, you're doing pretty well, obviously. And so some if you don't make, if you do not do well when that happens, somewhere along your top half is where you screwed up. And so, you know, I, I was fun. I, I had six guys play four rounds last week, by the way. Very proud of that. <laughs> I did too, actually, believe it or not. I went back and looked. Did I finish DFL in the pool? I was close. We, we were both. It, it wasn't very impressive. We, we have our on weeks and our off weeks. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. You Why know? it's Streb and Landry, who both had good first rounds and then proceeded to go well watching for three days. <laughs> I, I, the, Hawaii, the beauty of Hawaii got, got Overtook it. Overtook them. Got, it, it did, and it, it can happen to the best, Jim Colby. And so my uh, last guy I got picked is I, I, I really liked the guys that I picked, so I had to – normally what, what I do is I find cheap guys that I like and then build top heavy around that. This week I had the the top four guys that I had I really like Morikawa, Burger, um, 
gosh dang, who else? Am I, I got. I, let me pull it up. Chucky. Uh, Chucky, three sticks, and Brian Harmon. These are all guys who yep. I I will be severely shocked if they miss the cut. And then so it was okay. Well, how do I fill out the rest of my lineup? And and when I filled it all, I filled out Stuart Sink. Good course history. I'm gonna pick that. And then I had 6,400 left. I had to pick him. Friend of the show, Ryan Gibson. He's hey. uh, he's. Uh, I mean, he's he's only played out there once. He, he made the cut. Um, hasn't been playing very well before the um, before the turn of the year. But he's what, what was, was his price on DraftKings? Uh, uh 6,400. Okay, so cheap. And um, it was cheap, and he was a little bit more expensive than than some other guys down there who I thought had are a higher ranked in the world and uh, maybe in on better form. So I think this is one of those things where DraftKings may be on to some. And I think I think Rian, um, you know, like we said, we want your cheapest guy to make the cut. I think Rian's going to make a check this week. Uh, yeah, I, I would be inclined to think the same thing. You know, he is a very streaky golfer. I mean, I, he holds against world record for lowest round. He can go really low. Um, he, he's fairly inconsistent at times, but when he's on, he's on. So. Uh, I hope he plays well this week. Let's uh, dive into the one and done here a little bit. Last week, I ran out Hideki Matsuyama and Patrick Reed, so I'm a little behind to start the season. And uh, you're even further behind to start the season. Yeah, the, the way I look at it is, you know, if we're, if we're going to say it, I'd rather have Reed the rest of the year than Cameron Champ. So I, I, I look at it as a win. I mean, Hideki was just an absolute bust. I mean, he was, like you said, second most picked in all of one and done pools. Three for three, top fives. So we, we, we weren't the only one. DFL. No, a lot of people picked Hideki. That we, makes me feel better. We weren't we weren't the only ones. And so, you know, and we, we had people in our pool who picked, because with two golfers picked uh, Neiman and English. And it's three, like, we got 120 guys in our pool. Three of them picked Neiman and English. I was like, I mean, good Lord, what a great start for those guys. I mean, I, I hate them, but good start. No, Congratulations. That, and, 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 hey, you'll, you'll have your people say, oh, well, they made 2.2 million. I can't catch that, you know, and throughout the end, it's like, you know, we got a long season. Let's If you have a yeah, winner. There's only the, 40 tournaments left. Exactly, and multiple picks along the way. So so definitely this is not a time to give your hopes up. Um, So, you know, one and done this week, Colby, you already gave the host spill on him earlier. I know, and we're picking the same damn guy, and oh I hate my it when God. we do this. Freaking copycat! Why are you doing I, that? I the copy. I picked him in DraftKings too. I like him twice as much as you do. That's a fact. I, I just because I diversify more doesn't mean you <laughs> like him more, Colby. Gosh I, dang. I'm using him in twice as many pools. Therefore, I've done the quick math in my head. I like him twice as much as you. Uh, do. Therefore, he is quantified. This is like 80 million times screwed because you haven't picked <laughs> twice and I haven't picked once. But so, by the way, for anyone who can't remember what we talked about 15 minutes ago, we're clearly both picking Ryan Palmer here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Uh, and uh, I mean, it, he fits all the mold. He's he's won here before. Pretty good course history. Played well. Played well last week at Kapalua. It looked like he was hitting the ball really well. Um, had a had a chance on 18. Had it. I mean, he had to hole out, but if it had caught the ridge and kept going, he might, he might have been able to make it. I mean, he had played, played some pretty good golf and has been playing good recently, even before that fourth at the Zozo and How about 17. the uh, brief controversy that he found himself in on Saturday? At yeah, Century. with the, the ruling thing. What yeah. a load of crap that was. Yeah, what I don't. I didn't you think I, I was stupid? I, I didn't even honestly get even fully into it, Kobe. What, what was the I, I what mean, was the full story of it? I mean, I just saw. I, I can't remember what hole it was, but it was a hole that had a big false front. He was short left in the rough, and and he had a lot of grass around his ball and stuff, and he kind of duffed it, and it rolled up the hill, and then it rolled back, and as it was rolling back, Ryan Palmer walked over and a good distance away from where the ball was just fixing to stop, he kicked a divot. I mean, he he was saying in his post-round interviews he was five feet from the ball. I think he was at least five feet from the ball and just kicked an old divot in frustration, and I mean, the ball was within six inches of stopping when he did this at least minimum five feet away from him. And they call him into the tent afterward, wanting to talk about kicking this divot as if he's trying to make sure his ball doesn't go in this divot um, or, or, you know, get any trouble with this. And, And I'm like, what are they seeing that's getting them anywhere near thinking this could be a rules violation? 
and there was clearly no intent behind. I thought it was, I thought it was trash that he even had to go out and defend himself. And, and then I didn't think Justin Leonard handled it very well in the broadcast. I thought Justin Leonard said, "Well, you know, you could look at it either way, but you got to take his word for it." I'm like, nobody who knows anything about the game of golf with any rational sense in their head would think that he was trying to cheat there. So. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Justin Leonard, but no, I, I don't think that you could look at that as either way. And I'm not going to even phrase it that way because to, to even say that a golfer may be cheated, that's like the, the worst thing you can put on a golfer. And Ryan Palmer was not close to that. So I hope that that just stays completely in his rearview mirror. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, to, to, it was similar to the John Rom thing at the Memorial where he set the ball, uh, club down in the rough and the ball moved, whatever, and they actually ended up stroking him two shots after the tournament, just complete atrocity. And so it's like just another example of the rules just being too strict and too trying to be too concrete. And it's like, like you said, there's, there was no clear intent. I, I was watching. I didn't even realize that that was what they were trying to get him for. I'm like, are you kidding me? And no, but so, nobody would have thought anything of it. A casual, no. a casual viewer uh, a habitual viewer like us would watch it would never even think twice about it until they bring it up after the round and they're like well let's put it in slow motion let's zoom in here was he trying to gain an advantage no unequivocally no Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And it's just another example of they try to simplify the rules three or four years ago now, however long it is. And we need an, um, more oversimplification because stuff like this is getting out of hand. Yeah. And, and real Wasted quick. Wasted people's time, too. Yeah. No doubt. Real quick, I do want to know kind of who you had it narrowed down to in the one and done just for our listeners, some other options, some other good options this week. Uh, I had it narrowed down to four guys. I had it narrowed down to Colin Morikawa, Sung J M. Ryan Palmer or Joaquin Neiman. I decided to go with Ryan Palmer. The main reason was he is really on form right now, and he tends to dip in and out of form a little more throughout the season, whereas I think I'm going to get better results later in the year from Morikawa M and Neiman throughout the entirety of the season. I want to get Palmer while he's hot, so that's why I ended up going with Palmer. But did you have a couple other guys you looked at, or were you immediately Palmer? I, I, I was I was debating between a couple. Um, I, I, I legit thought about Cheeseburger. Um, I think he's going to have a better year, and there'll be a bigger um, bigger tournament to use him at. Do remember, this is one of the smaller purse events of the year, yeah. so even if you do have the win, which is going to be good. You get over a million bucks or a million points, but at the same time, you know there's going to be the majors and even some of the other tour events. You're going to have a lot bigger purses at. So it's one of those things you don't want to run out the biggest dogs that that they're out there. Um, I didn't look at English. I, I hardly ever pick someone who is the week after a win. I, he, yeah, and he, so and, tough. And he's played this course well too. I mean, let's uh, pull this up. I mean, he's um, going back to 2012 has two top ten or I'm sorry three top tens and only one miscut here. So I mean, I'm you guys. Just one playing the best golf of his career, played good form here, so he would be a good option. But it's it's just hard to pick someone after a win. Um, I thought about Chucky Three Sticks just because of his course history. I just don't think that he has a. I don't think he is someone who who can win the tournament. Ceiling's not high enough. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's okay. Do I want to get you know like you just mentioned? There's guys in our pool who have two point two uh, million points. You know, I don't even if Charles has a top ten finish, that's you know it might get to six figures. You know, that's right. not really bumping me up that much. It's a good finish, obviously. You're a guy that you think if he plays well, he could win. And I think if Charles Howell plays well, he could finish T7. But I think if Ryan Palmer plays well, he could win. Yeah, or, or I mean, even a, a solo second or a solo third is going to get you some good points. And I think Palmer has that ceiling. While, while Chucky 3-6 may, may obviously do it, I just don't think the ceiling is as high as Palmer. So that's why I went, went with Palmer. Yeah, uh, looking at the betting odds this week, don't really like any of the guys at the top just because their odds aren't good enough. I originally liked Sungjae when he came out at 25 to 1. I'm looking at him at 16 to 1 now. 
So some money's come in on Sungjae. He's going to be a real popular play this week. So I'm, I'm going to stay away from him just from a, a standpoint of value. Uh, there are a few guys I like a little bit lower. We've talked about Ryan Palmer. He's 28 to one. I think you're getting pretty good value there. And I think you're getting two guys at 40 to one that I could very easily see winning this tournament. And those two guys are Brendan Todd and Lanto Griffin. Would I, if, if you're asking me, you know, pick one winner, I'm not going to pick either one of those guys. But if you're asking me a guy a little bit lower down the board who has good value, Brendan Todd, we know, can win. Played pretty decent last week. Uh, I think Brendan Todd and uh, Lanto Griffin actually both were in that T13 group. Lanto Griffin was at 17 under, and uh, so was Brendan Todd at 17 under. Yeah, so they were both T13 a week ago. This course, uh, this tournament is notorious for having a winner who played the week before, but you don't necessarily have to finish top five the week before. I mean, the results here, most of the guys who won uh, or who played Kapalua the week before finished 13th or 17th or 21st or something like that at Kapalua. Or 42nd like Hideki. Or 42nd like Hideki and went on to uh, to win the next week at Wiley. So I think Brendan Todd and Lanto Griffin, if I was going to go a little further down the board, and to tell you the truth, I like to give triple-digit long shots if I can. I, there's nobody I like triple digits or worse. I, I mean, we see it sometimes where a guy who's 250 to one sneaks up, has just career round and wins a tournament. I, I don't see it. I mean, the guys in, in the hundreds, even hundred to ones like Kyle Stanley, uh, Brandon Grace, Tom Hoagie. I, 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 I can't put any of my money on these guys. So no, I, and, and I think with, especially with these earlier season events, Colby and same will go next week at the, at the Bob Hope or whatever it's called now, you know, it's, you got these big fields, the American Express, American, yeah, American Express credit card, credit card championship, we'll call it. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you have these guys who are, you know, these easier courses allow for them to go lower. So, you know, it kind of opens up the, the field more. And so when you got 140 plus players out there, all very, very talented players, I mean, world record holder ring gets in 6,400 on DraftKings just goes to show you that you know (laughs) you know anyone out there you know any one of these guys in the field can go out and have a really good week so I think unless you are very specifically in tune with someone that you just really like or a long shot that you like I think this is one of those tournaments where I I would stay away from betting purposes just because it's so wide open and honestly you know like we have these guys who we think like Morikawa Burger finish I think will be I'll be shocked if they're not top 15 finishes but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win the tournament and make the putts on Sunday because I mean we saw it last year what was it Cameron Smith and Brendan Steele were in a playoff and so and so I mean it's and Cameron Smith hadn't propelled himself to the level necessarily that he was higher level now than he was when he won last year at Wiley. Obviously, the record that he set at the Masters a couple months ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's it just opens it, it opens up more for for the field. So I, unless you really like someone, I think this is a week to maybe save your cash and maybe put some more money on either one of the tournaments coming up. Like for example, Riviera is a course where it kind of limits the field more per se. It is an invitational, and you have to be a really good ball striker obviously to win there. So I just think there's so many so much volatility. Not not volatility. That's a poor word. So much variety that could happen in this tournament of the winner. I think this is a week that I would stay away unless you just really, really have a gut feeling about someone. Because if you trust your gut and throughout the, your entire life, normally you're going to get yourself in a good place. Yeah, no doubt. Should be another fun week of Hawaii golf. We get uh, some late night golf. Sunday, I was, you know, the Brown Steelers game ended up being unwatchable after about 10 minutes, but I was trying to watch the playoff and flip over to the Brown Steelers game because it was supposed to be a good game. So I was trying to watch both at the same time. I'm sure we'll have more of that this week as uh, we'll have golf and football overflowing. But I watched a ton of golf this past week uh, at the Century, and I'm sure I'll do the same thing this week at the Sony. So we'll be back next week. Uh, Taylor? 
Ryan Palmer, let's do it. Yeah, he's he's unfortunately cursed. I feel bad for him. I mean, uh, we he, shouldn't have done this to him. No, no, it, it it's, was unfair. It's really cruel. And um, you know, one thing I hope Colby is that you know we had a lot to talk about this week, and it, it's really it, it was definitely good for us content wise. But I hope you know next week we can stay away from some of the I, I would say off the course issues. But Justin Thomas was obviously an on the course issue. Right. You know, so you just it was let, an on the course, off the course issue. Yeah, let, it's, yeah. It's let's, kind of in that middle. Let, range. Let's just stay, and the PJ Championship moving for for political reasons. Let's just. Let's keep some of those issues aside, and let's just have let's have the Tiger documentary. The the part two is coming out on Sunday, so we'll have that to look forward to. And obviously, I, I hope that we have a, a a really great tournament, which I think that we will. And but you never know, Morikawa or one of these um, other great players in the tournament could go out and win by four or five if they're hot. So yeah, I, like I, we I saw think, Justin Thomas do a few years ago. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, next week hopefully we will have three things to talk about: the Sony Open, the Tiger Doc. And the American Express. That's what's on the docket for next week. Everyone enjoy the Sony this week. And thanks for listening and supporting once again here on the 73rd Hall.